If there's one topic in Missouri politics that's evoked lots and lots of opinions lately, it's whether State Senator Maria Chappelle Nadal should stay or go. No debate. I condemn it. It's outrageous, and she should resign. It was something silly to say. She immediately deleted it. It's not a big deal. This is a lot of fake outrage. She has no choice but to resign. I mean, I don't know how she stays in office. I hate to think that it's because she's a black woman, but I... I don't know why they want to throw her under the bus. The University City Democrat placed her political career into doubt after she posted, then deleted, a Facebook comment hoping for President Donald Trump's assassination. Chappelle Nadal publicly apologized to Trump, her Senate colleagues, and the state. But some, including Republican Lieutenant Governor Mike Parson, want senators to expel Chappelle Nadal from the Senate during next week's veto session. I believe that Senator Chappelle Nadal's remarks and her unwillingness to make responsible and take responsibility for what she said, make it clear that she is no longer fit to serve our state. But State Representative Warren Love greatly complicated the push to get rid of Chappelle Nadal. Last week, the Osceola Republican posted on Facebook that people who vandalized a Confederate monument in Springfield should be hung from a tall tree with a long rope. Both parties condemned Love's comments, but some Democrats, such as State Representative Michael Butler of St. Louis, are demanding that the two lawmakers receive equal punishment. And they have set a a standard and set a precedent of how they react to these types of posts. And they could just copy and paste the same statement they made about Maria Stelladal. It's in about Warren Love. It's not, it, it isn't hard. On this episode of the Politically Speaking podcast, I talk with Chappelle Nadal about whether her colleagues will back off on their threat to expel her. And Joe Manis and I will talk with two Republican political operatives with differing perspectives on whether she should be expelled. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Reitens. Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors, and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And I made a mistake, and I'm owning up to it, and I am not ever going to make a mistake like that again, and I have learned my lesson. My judge and my jury is my Lord Jesus Christ. That's State Senator Maria Chappelle Nadal last month at a press conference in Ferguson, and I'm Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio and the co-host of the Politically Speaking podcast. I had a chance to talk with Chappelle Nadal on September 6th, which is exactly one week before lawmakers will return to Jefferson City for their annual veto session. As of right now, it's unclear whether lawmakers will actually consider kicking Chappelle Nadal out of the Senate. But one of the first questions I asked her during our interview was whether she had a particular message to the senators that will ultimately decide her fate in the General Assembly's upper chamber. Well, I sent a letter to my colleagues 
in the last couple of weeks. And one of the things that I stated to them is that, um, you know, sometimes when we have a lot of issues in our district, you respond in a certain way. And I made it very clear to them and to others that with everything going on, I had a lot of frustration and a lot of anger in my heart. And I also asked them for forgiveness and told them that when you are dealing with some of these these issues, uh, you know, three weeks ago, it was the trauma that is um, happening in the community in which I serve in one way or the other. So we had the anniversary of Ferguson and the shooting of Michael Brown. Um, a lot of the people who already have PTSD and other anxiety uh, realized a heightened anxiety after they saw the visuals in Charlottesville. And um, I have this practice where I, I go through all of my um, followers and people who I follow. I go through their postings on social media to see how they're doing. I've been doing that for the last three years just to console individuals um, and give them some hope from time to time. I do that. That is part of my leadership. And I noticed that everything was was okay in a sense. There's some anxiety uh, during the anniversary, and then things just started changing um, when Charlottesville happened. And those images on TV were very, very, very disturbing to the people I represent and the people who I follow on social media. And then things really, really started triggering individuals here in St. Louis when the president made his statement. And basically what his statement meant to me is that, you know, he made room for people who practice covert racism because they could say, hey, at least I'm not Donald Trump. But there is a wide variety of things that could happen between what we deal with as minorities and women in the state of Missouri and in St. Louis in particular, and what uh, the president was stating or at least inferring at that time. And that's pretty much what led me to um, this comment that I made on my personal Facebook. And I saw the changes in people's attitude on social media. Um, I, I saw the trauma. Um, there are people who could not sleep, including myself, because they were repeating in their minds the experience of Ferguson, which was not nice. So, you know, if you asked me, Maria, you know, what were you thinking when you wrote that down? I was thinking about the trauma that St. Louisans are incurring, even now as we're dealing with this Jason Stockley verdict. A lot of what you're seeing and hearing is a result of the trauma that people incurred in the last three years and over their, their lifetimes through their experiences. This is from the Kansas City Star. In a letter to his Republican Senate colleagues this week, GOP Senator Bob Dixon of Springfield called Chappelle Nadal's Facebook post intemperate and embarrassing. He even noted that in the past she has been, quote, guilty of disrespect to the Senate and sometimes to its members personally by contemptuous behavior and comments. But while he will support an official censure of Chappelle Nadal as well as her permanent removal from Senate committees, Dixon said he would not vote to expel her from the Senate. And those words were compelling to me because Senator Dixon is not one of your political adversaries. He's not Lacey Clay. He's not Josh Peters. He's not Jane Nixon. He's somebody who came to Ferguson from Springfield after Ferguson happened. And I talked with him about that. And by mentioning the fact that the the 
disrespect to the Senate and sometimes its members, it prompted me this question. If one of your political adversaries had done exactly the same thing that you did, would you show them the same mercy that you're asking from your colleagues? Absolutely. So I can give you an example. Yes. Um, Mr. Clay said something to the effect he was going to give Donald Trump the benefit of the doubt. And I was appalled by that um, as a, a Democrat. And I didn't publicly really respond to that. Uh, I just knew that that was hurtful to the people that are in the first congressional district um, because we've seen who this this person is. Now, I, I say that with the caveat that I've, I've sent a letter to the president's um, office at the White House asking him for forgiveness as well and also working with him in the future because one thing that, that you should know as well as others is that Senator Dixon and I actually work together. And I have a history of working with my Republican colleagues on anything from, um, I think it was Will Krause, where we dealt with with Medicaid fraud, people who were using these resources to go to a strip club or get liquor instead of using it to to help their families eat. Um, so and another example is um, there are other things, education reform. And it's unacceptable that many of our children are in school buildings that are totally unaccredited. So I've worked with my Republican colleagues. We're not going to agree on 100% of everything, but where we can build bridges, we do. What do you think the consequences should be for what you posted on Facebook? You know, I'm, I'm really reflecting on Article 2 and how how the First Amendment of the Constitution weighs out. Um, you know, if I was expelled, then there would be an immediate challenge to what kind of rights an individual has. There are several cases that one can go through, including Julian Bond uh, from the 1960s, who made a statement that was far worse than mine. Um, and the the Georgia legislature at that time uh, did everything they could possible not to seat Julian Bond. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, this is language that is protected by the First Amendment. So um, while we do have a an Article 2 in our state's constitution, it would be in conflict with the First Amendment. And that question would be the only question uh, in the country uh, to determine whether or not a, an elected official has the ability to be dismissed based on a First Amendment right that's given to every other citizen. Would you be okay with a censure and being removed from your committees permanently as I possibly? Well, here's what I would say. Being on a committee allows for residents to come to their state capitol and say, I like a bill or I hate a bill, and this is why. And what many people don't understand is I can still sit on that dais in those committees and listen to those folks just not vote. And second to that, that's not where the sausage is made. Third to that, um, I still have email. I still have in-district meetings, and people let me know if they're for or against legislation, regardless of if I'm sitting on a committee. But I have staff members who go to committee with me, um, and especially for an issue like education. 
there's nothing that prohibits me from going into that committee room and listening to the testimony. And that's part of the job. A lot of what we do has to do um, with sometimes as easy as sometimes it's not easy, but dealing with getting 100-year-old trees that have fallen on someone's house or getting child support or helping to get disability, that is really where it's at. And I've always prided myself in constituency services. I guarantee you there is no other legislator that has held 70 town hall meetings on one subject matter or any subject matter in 19 months. I guarantee that. How do you think the controversy over Representative Warren Love affects your fate? Well, I I think that your listeners should judge for themselves. If you look at the response that the lieutenant governor gave to my statement um, when I made it versus the response to Representative Love's statement, um, there's a difference. Uh, Obviously, I mean, the lieutenant governor went above and beyond Um, you know, and making sure that there was some mechanism for me to be ousted. When Representative Love uh, made statements that he uh, did not want to or should not have stated, um, you know, the response was by far different. Um, I know that for for, um, the speaker, Todd Richardson, Um, He was very supportive of of me resigning or being ousted by the Senate. And when Representative Love uh, made his misstatement, was saying that it's an unfortunate mistake. So there there are differences in, in how I was treated. I don't know if it's because I'm in the minority party. I don't know if it's because I'm a woman. I don't know if it's because I'm a minority resident. But all of these things have to come into play. Um, many of my supporters have stated things that the, like the president has said, things that are, are far worse. I have to be accountable for what I have stated. I am interested in getting back to my work, my research to help save lives. That's what I'm doing. That's what I've done. Um, and many of my political opponents who have been very aggressive in seeing that I'm either censored or, you know, supporting me resigning um, or supporting me being um, expelled from the Senate, Um, you know, I would ask them, what work are you doing to save lives in this community? It's been an issue that's been ignored for 70 years, and it should not be the case where people have to protest in someone's office in order to file legislation. And I want to make it very, very clear to to NPR listeners um, is that this is not done. And it may be your coworker, it may be your daughter or your son or your grandfather that's impacted by issues such as radioactive waste. It may be they work in Bridgeton. Um, ever since this incident happened, I've learned a lot. Um, at first, I was a little bit because I was getting death threats like I do, did in Ferguson. But when I went out into the public, there is an overwhelming support by people. Um, and there, I, I will never forget this one woman. We were at the gas station and she stopped. She's like, I know you. I know you. I know you. I don't like what you said, but I know why you said it. 
you know, um, it took me an hour to get through the grocery store the other day. Um, and I only purchased like 17 bucks worth of stuff. And I was held on the on the parking lot for like 20 minutes of people having overwhelming support for me um, and in the grocery store. So and, and the same thing happens for Warren Love, too. We've talked a few times. You've over, talked with Warren Love. Yes, I've talked to Warren Love a few times over the weekend, and I really wanted to reach out to him because I wanted him to know that I knew what it was like to be attacked, um, you know, for a mistake that we have made. And I knew that he was in, you know, a, a, a precarious situation as I was. And so even though I don't agree with what he said and he doesn't agree with what I said, he represents the far right and I represent the far left. So even while what I said was wrong, it proves that I'm a Democrat and I'm a progressive Democrat that believes in having every single human being being valued and not disregarded. And if you go back to the statements that that um, we've had to endure for the last seven or now eight months, nine months, um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of those folks who I've been worried about who have trauma, I'm seeing that get worse. And I, I hope that your listeners, no matter what, realize there's a such thing as trauma and you can't control trauma. Trauma alters your life in a very, very, very real way. And when you can take what I said and use it against me all you want, but the fact remains is the people who are going to be out and looking at what happens with this Jason Stockley case, a lot of them have trauma. And that's why I have filed legislation dealing with trauma. And I hope they take it seriously and advocate for it, um, having some resolve when you go through uh, situations like Charlottesville or or Ferguson. And I, I told, um, you know, there's Foster Freeze. He's a, a huge Republican um, donor, and he came down to St. Louis to meet with me, have a cup of coffee. Um, he has this project called Return to Civility. And um, he just, he was like, Maria, I just wanted to come down here and still let you know, I love you and I forgive you. And he didn't have to do that. And ever since then, I've been returning that. Um, I think other people in the media covered that. And ever since then, I've been getting these phone calls. You know, I disagree with you, Maria, but I'd certainly like to meet with you. So I've been doing that on Sundays. Um, and I, I'm quite surprised because one gentleman who I met with on Sunday at church um, he said his daughters were like, are you really going to meet with her? Aren't you scared to meet with her? He's like, no, of course not. So he and I had way more in common than what we thought. If I, I leave you with anything, it is to pay attention to the trauma that people are going through, and it's layers of trauma. It's not just pr police brutality. It's the trauma of living in poverty. It's the trauma of not being educated. It's the trauma of not having two parents. It's the trauma of, of not being respected as a human being, and you know that you have every single um, gift that other people have, but because of what you look like, you're treated differently. And all those layers combined does cause trauma. And when you get, get to a situation like what we did in Charlottesville, um, 
it just makes things worse. And that was what I was responding to out of my love for the people that I represent. So here's a couple of procedural points that are really important before we move on to anything else. For expulsion to even be a possibility during next week's veto session, one of two things need to happen. Either Governor Eric Greitens has to call a special session, or three-fourths of the members of the House and Senate have to sign a petition calling themselves back into special session. Joe Manis asked the governor about whether he would call a special session. Here's his response. I do think that they should resign. I mean, I don't think that we can have a Missouri senator who's calling for the assassination of the president of the United States. I don't think we can have a Missouri representative who's calling for people in Missouri to be to be hung by trees. Um, we've made very clear what our position is, and it's also clear that the legislature has the power to act, and I, I expect that they'll do so. So you won't call a special It'll be up to them. Yeah, what's very clear to us, we've looked at this, we've communicated with the Senate and the House leadership. They have the power right now to take to take action. And so and so we're, we're going to be looking to them to take that action. I think it's important that they do. So let's say that lawmakers round up enough signatures to call themselves back into special session. It would take at least 23 senators to expel Chappelle Nadal from the Senate chamber. Republicans control 24 seats, but as I mentioned before, at least one, Senator Bob Dixon of Springfield, has already said that he's not going to expel Chappelle Nadal. If one other Republican joins him, it would be up to Democrats to decide whether they want to kick one of their own members out of the chamber. And one big complicating factor is this fear among Democrats that there'll be one punishment for Chappelle Nadal and a completely different one for love. Even some Republicans like State Representative Shemed Dogan of Baldwin are concerned with that double standard. I think they were both really stupid in what they posted, but I haven't called for either one of them to resign. Um, I think you do have to treat the two equally. If the Senate is going to go ahead and move to expel the senator, then I think the House ought to take up the same proceedings because a lot of those people who are arguing for her to be expelled... Um, should make that same argument in this case. Another consideration both for elected officials and ordinary people is what happens to Chappelle Nadal's seat if she's expelled. The 14th Senatorial District takes in parts of Central and North St. Louis County, and there's no guarantee that somebody will immediately replace Chappelle Nadal if she's kicked out of the Senate. That's a major concern for people like F. Willis Johnson, who's with the Wellspring United Methodist Church in Ferguson. My question has been, ultimately, how does this affect the constituents and the community um, uh, that she is she's serving? With all of that backdrop out of the way, Joe Manis and I are going to talk with two Republicans with very different views on this situation. The first is former State Representative Carl Bearden, who believes that Chappelle Nadal should either resign or be kicked out of the Senate. The other is Republican political consultant David Barklage, who doesn't believe that senators should expel Chappelle Nadal. Let's jump into that conversation right now. Carl, I want to know your perspective first, because I saw a press release saying that your former colleague, now Senator Maria Chappelle Nadal, should resign. Tell me why. Well, you know, I do believe that uh, as elected officials, uh, we hold uh, a certain standard and and we we forego 
some of the freedoms that we might otherwise be able to exercise uh, more freely as as a citizen. And so I think we have to be very careful about what we say. And I believe that in in uh, Senator Chappelle Nadal's case, she has a pattern of of behavior, if you will, and it started in the House. Very passionate person. You know, if she believes it, she's going to be passionate about it. Uh, but over the last year or two, uh, she has continued to ratchet that up in various uh, occasions, both on the floor uh, as well as outside uh, the legislature. And so this was kind of the tipping point. And I, and I believe that she went beyond the pale uh, as an elected official in upholding the standard that she should hold. Now, before I get to, to David Barkledge, do you think that the same standard should be with Representative Love's comments Re- as well. Representative Love was equally reckless in his comments, but here's here's a couple of distinctions in my mind, and, as I, and I've traveled the state extensively in the past couple of weeks. I think last time we talked, I was in Warsaw, Missouri. But, uh, uh, you know, the fact is, uh, Representative Love was equally uh, distasteful and should face consequences to that. And what we're talking about, I believe, is the level of consequences. Uh, he does not have a pattern the same pattern of behavior, for example, as Senator Chappelle Nadal does in making uh, comments and, and uh, escalating of, of actions. Are, are you sure about that? Did you see this Facebook post calling Abraham Lincoln one of the greatest tyrants of our time? Well, there are some people who believe that, but uh, not many Republicans. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting Lincoln. because because uh, Republicans actually are are kind of split. Uh, particularly when you look at a grassroots, because we're you know we're we're a nonpartisan organization, mm-hmm. for example, uh, and so we have a lot of people who who may have been Republicans who don't want to claim Republicans anymore. They're not claiming to be Democrats, and they're not really claiming to be independents, so they don't really know what they are. Maybe, but uh, but the, but a lot of uh, a variety of feeling of, of that is. But I will say that that by and large, if you look at the track record of both of those individuals, now I in no way am saying that that that. Representative Love should not face consequences. In fact, he should very much so because I think he has to be responsible for his uh, his very public tweeting, as as does uh, uh, Chappelle Nadal. Now we've given uh, former Representative Bearden a chance to weigh in. What's your thoughts? Because one we're, of the reasons we're talking that, to Barclage now. I'm, I'm 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 pointing my hand toward the <laughs> Prince of Darkness right here, David Barclage. <laughs> I knew it would not take long until I came up. <laughs> um, because you know, I watched this week in Missouri politics where you were on, and you provided what I felt was an interesting and possibly surprising perspective on this. Look, I, I've uh, spent more than a decade working for senators, uh, working in the Senate, everything else. So. Uh, I care very much about the institution, but I guess mine is a broader perspective as a, uh, I shouldn't even say this because when my mom will hear it, as a <laughs> consultant uh, and involved in elections, I have two fundamental uh, problems with a expulsion. Uh, and I do believe that the Senate has every right to admonish, to reprimand its members for conduct that uh, is unbecoming to the body. Uh, I, I have no objection to that. But one, I think there is a free speech issue. Uh, The Constitution uh, protections for free speech don't allow or permit a government entity to penalize a citizen, even if it's a member of the legislature, solely because they made a statement that others found offensive, no matter how offensive it is. Uh, In 1965, voters in Georgia uh, overwhelmingly elected legislative candidate who publicly opposed the Vietnam War. Uh, and and stated that he admired uh, the courage of people to burn their draft cards. Well, the legislature, uh, based solely on those statements, said, we're not going to seat you. Uh, And the Supreme Court said that that violated the First Amendment. So one, I think that, again, and and Carl and I uh, both, we hear things that really bother us, but then we have to sort of look at that free speech on on contributions, things that sort of carries across. And so I guess I'm a purist in that regard. Second, 
uh, I think that, you know, voters' elections are critically important. And the voters have spoken. They have elected her five times or whatever it is. Uh, and then for a Senate uh, to expel her and disenfranchise the voters, because it's not just, you know, you kick her out, there's a period where the people are not represented. But there's also then the fact that party leaders pick the person who replaces her in a special election for the continuation of that. And I think it's a very dangerous precedent for a majority party to kick out a minority member, no matter how offensive the opinion may be. I think that sends a dangerous signal in the times we're in to voters. I, I think it looks uh, authoritarian. I think it looks, uh, you know, just very dangerous out there. So, again, probably as someone who's biased about elections, solving these issues and letting voters speak, I, I feel pretty strong in letting voters make those decisions. Now, now does the fact that she's term limited, meaning that she's going to be out of office at the end of 2018, and in effect, it means she's just going to really be active from next January through half of May. Does that play into any of this or not? I'm just well, asking. I think it plays both ways. It's that Her short tenure means that this issue is going to be resolved by the fact of term limits. Uh, and so why go to do something that is extraordinary from a standpoint of a Senate? I mean, you've had one expulsion or one expulsion attempt in the entire history of the state of Missouri. And Carl and I and everybody at this table knows there are a lot of scoundrels uh, doing a lot of things, a lot of activities uh, that would embarrass all of us. We're talking about I've got I got a long list here. I'm just going to show you. I'm not going to go through it. This uh, just goes to show how much these consultants know what's going on. Of, of individuals under indictment, under investigations, everything else while they're in the legislature that weren't expelled. So I, I just think that, again, the, the, uh, the punishment may not fit the crime here. Mm-hmm. Uh, where resignation or where admonishment or some kind of other active uh, measure should apply. Well, David is uh, correct when resignation, when he says resignation and, and applicable to both individuals, uh, is the perfect and, and absolute uh, outcome that should be should be had. But I don't see any indication from either one of them that's going to happen. You know, this has been in our Constitution, I believe, all the way back to the 1820 Constitution. So people of Missouri has voted for. And when I when, when I was Speaker Pro Tem, uh, we would get into these discussions, uh, and somebody would be talking about a St. Louis in, uh, issue, for example, and a St. Louis representative would get up and admonish them for speaking about a St. Louis issue. And uh, so when the next representative sought recognition, I would say, does any other state representative? wish to speak. Because while we are elected by districts, and they are all elected by district, they are also represented, elected to represent the state as a state senator, as a state representative. There's a reason that state precedes their office. And I believe that's why the people in 1820 and 1875 and 1945 and, and one other in between uh, had voted to, to put expulsion as part of that, as part of the U.S. Constitution, obviously. So it, was, it came from there originally, I believe. Uh, but, uh, but the people continued to support that. But I do believe it ought to be extreme uh, uh, situations. It ought to be, you know, innocent until proven guilty. In, in this case, uh, the proof is there. Uh, and so I think that's the condition in which... And, and, I, and I, I'll just say this with Carl, is that I, I agree. I think that that measure what concerns me because there's the inside of all of us that sort of follow and know their careers and the outside of the district saying, well, you know, here's a bunch of Republicans that don't live in our district determining who's going to represent us. And for that reason, you need such a high standard. And that's what concerns well, me here I, is, I, is I, it high enough? I know you brought up free speech and I want to play devil's advocate for a second because there are going to be people who say hoping for a presidential assassination, even though Senator Chappelle Nadal deleted the tweet, apologized to her colleagues, apologized to Missouri. 
it's it's not really free speech because it crosses a line where it could potentially be a crime. You mean like fire? Or like yelling, fire. like yelling fire in a crowded and, building. And if it's if it's a crime and if she's indicted, I think that may then take another course. I, I Mike. I, I will not comment on, you know, the serious what she said. I don't I mean, I think it's very clear. It's just more of a matter of no matter how offensive we find it, uh, that there has to be a standard applied here that, you know, we're going to live with a standard for all. And so if minority members start saying things, at, at what point is that line that you cut off of what they said objectionable enough to kick them out of office by a majority party? And, and I believe the standard, though, is, is, is pretty clear. And I do think, you know, I've traveled with the state extensively in the last couple of weeks, uh, about the only place I haven't been, I think, southwest Missouri. But uh, it, it hasn't really mattered in, in what area I've been in. Uh, the feeling about uh, and the belief of the people have been that was over the top. Now, if you come to her area, because what, 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 if we ran through a scenario, that, let's say that she was expelled. And, and, and I even suggested that she go to the governor. Uh, and say, Governor, I will resign if you will, will guarantee to call the special election at the earliest possible time. Uh, would she, she would be eligible to be nominated to fill that special election and to be reelected if, if the people chose to do that. And, and look, I, I, I agree with Carl. I have not found anybody in my circle that, you know, is supportive, wants to talk about free speech. They're mad. They're upset at the comment. Uh, and they're very bothered by it, and they think that punitive action should occur. It's just a matter of, I think, the First Amendment, uh, whether it's in contributions or whether in free speech is, our expression of free speech is something we have to very carefully guard. Well, um, does the fact that, okay, uh, Carl just mentioned a little bit of this, about some of the other stuff she's done that irritates people. She has filibusters all the time and has, and has blocked Senate action. Well, one of the senators uh, posted something uh, on Twitter uh, recently, like within the last 48 hours, saying that that was one of the real reasons he wanted to go after her. Does that make it more dangerous from the standpoint that you're, my point is, it's not, I mean, the, the point is where it's not focusing on her admittedly reprehensible statement about Trump, but where it broadens to other things she's done that well, tick off people. So I want to answer, open the door and, and Carl uh, comment is I think that opens a broader question. And, and right, everybody is going to search their own heart for what their motivations on this is. But, you know, she uh, opened the door to this whole discussion by her actions. But, but here's what concerns me more, is that we are a society that has dramatically changed in the last 10 years. The access, immediate access to electronic media uh, always gives consultants nightmares with their candidates. You have cameras everywhere. You have, you know, just there's nothing private anymore. The ability to hack someone's email and then post it. I mean, what we've seen, holding things hostage, everything else. So we've literally eliminated uh, privacy, and we take passionate individuals that aren't always the smartest, that make mistakes and everything else, and we're setting a standard. Forget what she said. Forget what Warren Lenz said. I'm just saying is that we are rapidly changing, and I am very concerned that the standard we're putting on in terms of these politicians that may mistake something. I was in a gubernatorial campaign where someone tweeted, uh, you know, about uh, Hooters uh, free wings for veterans and for uh, stamp uh, or for tattoos on uh, uh, whatever, stamp, tramp stamps or whatever, and, and had to deal with all that. My point just is this, is that I think we're, we, we have to be very careful going forward of what kind of standard or what kind of definition for someone's uh, saying an off-color comment or remark and it being posted out there and how dangerous that is and how, 
you know, it seems like for uh, generations of, of scoundrels that have been operating in politics, we're now putting a standard up. I don't know if anybody can survive. Now, before we get to Carl's reaction to that, I do want to play a clip from Representative Shemed Dogan. He's a Republican from Baldwin who brought up this idea about the coarsening of discourse through social media. Let's play that, and I'll have uh, former Representative Bearden respond to it. You know, I think part of this has to do with the spirit of President Trump, right, is, you know, people really want authenticity. People are tired of political correctness, which is, you know, refreshing in a sense. But if if political correctness is the only thing standing between, you know, lawmakers calling for murder and and the opposite, then maybe we need a little more political correctness. So in addition to responding to David's point, um, does Representative Dogan have a point in that social media is causing politicians to say more and more outrageous things? So we have we have several different things, and I think that does tie into what David's saying, because today, I mean, we, we've always kind of lived in a, uh, uh, particularly in the last, I think, 20, 25 years, uh, uh, a world of gotcha politics. Your opponent's always looking for something or whatever, and so, and that is being greatly enhanced by uh, all the electronic media and means we have today. Because as David said, someone will say something in private that, you know, nobody knew that a recorder was going or whatever, and those are used against them. In this case, though, we have two individuals who have publicly, voluntarily posted things that were inappropriate and, and unfitting un, uh, for their for their positions, in my opinion. And what we have today, what my concern, opposite of David's, is uh, that today we don't want people to have consequences for their actions. And I think there has to be consequences. Now, those consequences vary. You know, the consequences for David and I getting into a fist fight on the street after we leave here. Or in the studio. Or in the studio <laughs> uh, is going to be different than the consequences if David and I get into a knife fight or a gunfight, right? So there's a different escalation. There's a different payment to be had for those consequences. And I think that's what we, we lose sight of that. First off, we either want consequences or we don't. And if we're not going to hold people accountable and have consequences, then, then And Carl, I think we agree. There, there should be consequences in both cases. It's right. just a matter of Just what right. the consequences may yeah, be that was, that was, And I think Joe and I were going to ask, like, what should the consequences be? Well, well, and does the whole point, I mean, the general consensus I've been seeing social media the last few days is that love representative loves comments uh whether or not they're equal or not seems to have changed the dynamic of how people are approaching the Chappelle nadal thing whether we agree or disagree right. uh, because it becomes more muddled for the public and for politicians so a what do you think should be done and b what do you think will be done because of the well, of the muddiness i i i think a couple of things. One, we, we have to adhere to the Constitution, and I would suggest that the Senate and others, now that a motion is deciding, is look at the constitutional issues to make sure we just don't cross over. They may determine that 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 uh, this 1965 does not apply, uh, ruling by the Supreme Court, and, it, and it's free to do it. The second, I think they have to take into whatever they do is something that could establish a precedent, and that's important. You know, Carl and, and I, in dealing with the legislature, I mean, all those things, we always take into account what are we doing today and how is it going to affect tomorrow as well. And then I think third is that if you find that free speech, uh, if you find that potentially disenfranchising voters and you, you realize that you're going to lay a precedent, I think you need to look for options. And, and I guess my 
uh, belief is that the Senate uh, has some smart people in it that are going to look for options, whether it's resignation, whether it is uh, restriction of duties or whatever it might be, and, and do the right thing now that it's sort of subsiding they can actually look at it. But again, I think you have to take those other things into account to where you're going to go uh, and try to do the right thing by all parties, by how the voters see it, what is appropriate, uh, and, you know, as, as Carl's talking about sort of measure, what kind of measured response, and what's appropriate for the Senate long term. So the consequences uh, for the two, I, I think, are, are different. I think from a leadership position, you have to look at that. And I think that the 1965 case uh, might have some bearing, but I think it's a different context, uh, disagreeing with the, with the war as opposed to hoping for the assassination of the president. I think it's a little different level, and I, and I think that's what they'll have to weigh out and see. So uh, as leadership, I mean, I don't recall the last time in the Missouri legislature, whether it's Senator the House, that someone has been censured. Uh, that's certainly the minimum that has to happen to um, to represent love, for example. And I think with, with uh, Senator Chappelle Nadal, uh, if she only ends up censured, I think that people will look at this and say, okay, well, you know, it's okay to, you know, to wish bad upon, uh, upon elected leaders. Uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm on the expulsion side. I understand the precedent that it sets. But again, I, my position, I think, what I've always disagreed with uh, in the legislature is we try to look for the political way out, and and there there are some balance. There is some balance, like David says. You've got to say, okay, what are those future future requirements? But we're either accountable or we're not. We're either going to do something significant or not. And people today are even more aware of when the when the legislature, of whether it's whether it's state or federal, gives their colleagues, regardless of party. Uh, and this has never been a partisan issue. I've never heard anybody talk about the partisan issue. But regardless, a party uh, gives them what the public would see as a free pass. But you do have to adhere to the Constitution. I think correct. that's no, that's correct, caution. absolutely. And that's that that is. Uh, and I think that either censure and expulsion, I think they both fit into into that. Now, Chappelle Nadal has already been stripped of her committee uh, assignments. I mean, the assumption is that that definitely is going to stick, regardless. I mean, have you heard much about what may happen on the House at all? I mean, so far, Speaker Richardson hasn't said anything. Well, probably. he he released a statement, but he hasn't said if he's going right. to take any action. Well, well, that's what I mean. Aside from a statement. Yeah, I think that uh, I think he's in a corner at, at best that he has to do something. I mean, there is no question something has to happen, and as David says, it's a matter of of extreme, if you will. Uh, and as a result, I think if he doesn't at least uh, take committee assignments away from him, uh, if they don't censure him, I think that the, the, the House, in this case, would lose a lot of, a lot of uh, status. That's it for the Politically Speaking podcast. You can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. And until next time, so long.